Welcome to Chaplain Stories, sacred stories from the front lines of ministry. My name is Chaplain Caleb McCary, and we are going to be talking to chaplains about their stories, living out their calling and ministering to military personnel. I'm so glad to have you joining us as we talk about faith, life, and ministry with our guests. Welcome to Chaplain Stories. I'm Chaplain McCary, and I have a very special guest here today, uh, someone who has been in the Chaplain Corps for uh, a long time, including a few times when he thought he was done, uh, but the Chaplain Corps wasn't done with him yet. Uh, so, sir, if you could introduce yourself and then uh, tell us a little bit about what you do uh, and why you thought for a while that you were done with the Chaplain Corps, but it wasn't done with you yet. Hi, Chaplain Brian Walker. And just to say briefly in terms of history as a chaplain, I came in in 89, which for many people is ancient, and then went through the normal uh, positions of battalion, brigade, uh, division, then moved on to uh, the chief of chaplain's office, where I served as a personnel director, and then XO. Following that, I uh, retired in 19, at 30 years of service, and then was recalled active duty, voluntary, for initial three years, where I spent two of which as commandant at the school, and then one year as the uh, division chief for ops and training in the chief's office. And the last year, which will extend to 29 June of 23, I'm serving as the command assessment program LNO project officer for the branch. So that's kind of my history wrapped up. And again, for most people who see me with gray hair, they kind of figure out how in the world are you still moving around because you look ancient. <laughs> <laughs> so what what does that mean when, uh, when you're a retiree recall? Um, why does that happen from time to time? Well, it used to be that the branch would use retiree recall, meaning that you had when a officer had to retire either because of age or service, and there's in the law there's mandatory limits, then they could be recalled back to active duty from the retired status. Because of the needs of the branch, typically it might be, for instance, faith, uh, say, for instance, Roman Catholic, then there's always a scarcity, uh, shortage of Roman Catholic priests who are serving in the military. And so if they because they come in generally older, when they reach their MRD, their mandatory retirement date, then the branch would just recall them so they continue to serve. However, the Army has moved to uh, mandatory well, MRD extensions, so mandatory retirement date extension, where you don't retire, you just continue on in active duty with no change. When I retired in 2019, uh, the Army had not yet transitioned to that, and so I was fully retired. I got my DD 2219, uh, 214? 214. Yeah. I haven't looked at it in a while. It's been a couple <laughs> of years. My DD 214 went through the retirement process, then retired on 30 June, was recalled on 1 July the next day, no break in service, and have been continuing on since then. Wow. So you said in your introduction that uh, you came into the Chaplain Corps in 1989. Did I hear that correctly? Yes, way long ago. Uh, it, that's been a few minutes ago. So what what did you do before you became a chaplain all those years ago? Typically with religious professionals, and that's what chaplains are, uh, I started as a pastor of a small congregation in Seattle, Washington, did that for three years. 
and uh, worked a couple of jobs, pastored a congregation of 50, started with 50, ended with 50 after three years. So I feel like I've really just kind of kept the group going. And then <laughs> after that, I served as a youth uh, pastor for about 18 months and then transitioned to the military. I had been aware of military service, attracted to it, but not really uh, not really choosing to go in that direction. But there are circumstances in ministry that kind of led me that way. So at age 30, I applied again and was came on active duty in uh, June of 1989. So you said you had no prior service. So what what happened in in your life in your calling that that drew you towards the chaplaincy well military service is part of my family's history my dad a marine my younger brother a marine my other younger brother one of the was the army so it's something that certainly in my family was looked upon with favor i had been asked to apply when i was in seminary and by my endorsing agent. And I said, well, I'd rather go out and pastor and wasn't really looking forward to it. But this is where you kind of have a story where, from my faith perspective, God moves in ways you don't really see coming. So for three years, I pastored. Then I started working for my dad in a church in Virginia. And things were kind of set. He was pastoring. I was working for him. The family was there. And then the church had to split. (laughs) Oh, wow. And then a new pastor came in. It became one of those things where, Brian, we don't know how you're going to do without you, but starting Monday, we're going to try. And so then I was in a small town. I didn't have really any place to go. I applied for other positions in my denomination. And at that time of year, it just wasn't a good time. So I was delivering pizza for Domino's and uh, umpiring uh, softball games for the city and refing basketball games and doing everything I could to take care of my family and feeling very anxious about it. And then in the process, I had talked to someone from our endorsing agency again, and I had put in another application, put in an application to come on active duty. But really at the time the decision was made, I had interviewed with the city council to be, they had a position for as a youth, not a youth leader, but you're in charge of youth activities within the city. And it looked like I was going to get hired. And that day, I hadn't heard anything from the chief's office. And I was, the city council was going to vote that night. So I just remember sitting there going, God, okay, here it is. I'm going to call, one call. And based on if they say yes, I'll go army. If they say no, then I'll I'm going to go with the city, and then if they call me later on, I say, I'm sorry, I can't do it now. And now you don't understand working uh, if you haven't worked in headquarters. And in terms of bureaucracy, you can never tell when people are going to be at their desk or not on a day off or things like that. I called, and the person I needed to talk to answered. And I said, hey, I put in a packet. And he goes, oh, yeah, you've been accessioned, and you'll report 6 June, 89. And I said, Okay. So again, that was just from my faith perspective that God moved away from civilian to military in a direction I didn't anticipate. But looking back on it now, really couldn't see any other way of uh, doing ministry as I have for the past 33 years. Wow. So when you started in on this journey with the chaplaincy, um, you know, you were in that transition phase Uh, of doing a number of different jobs and waiting to see what doors God would open. When God opens the door to 
the chaplaincy. What what did your family think about that? Well, my wife was just glad I had a job. So I mean, there was immediate uh, good news in the family. And my parents, of course, uh, very uh, they were very uh, in terms of wanting me to be in the military, thought highly of it. The, dif- the difficulty is, though, that just because you get hired in a new direction doesn't mean that things are all automatically good. I came into the Army with no prior, prior experience. And so I remember I reported at Fort Monmouth, where the school used to be then, and I had my hair cut wrong. It was like in a bowl shape or something, so they told me your hair's wrong. And then I'm walking back in uniform, and we're going back to where we were staying in the barracks, and there was an NCO coming my way on the street, and I thought, well, this seems like a saluting situation. And so I saluted, which I think I went about that wrong. I saluted first. And anyway, I'm thinking about that. That felt weird. What was? And I turned around and looked back at the NCO, and he had stopped. And he had kind of cocked his head and looking at me like, what did I do? And I was looking at him, I go, oh, I salute right-handed, not left-handed. And so that was my kind of entrance into the Army. And I had to learn a new language, lingo. I mean, I had to learn everything, was completely unfamiliar with. And so God did a great job then coming through basic course of addressing my fears and anxieties and enabling me that uh, through dependence on him to kind of enter ministry in the right foot. Mm. So, and, and I don't mean this as, uh, as like a, an old comment or anything, but you came in in 1989 and this is the end of the Cold War, um, the the Persian Gulf War uh, kicks off in in the early '90s, so you have seen uh, a lot of transitions in the Army and in the Chaplain Corps over the years. What was it like uh, going into your first unit in in the late '80s, early '90s, um, and then experiencing all these transitions over the years? Well, first of all, to say 1989, I realized for many people that's a time when they figured there were no cars and that people were not <laughs> flying across the ocean. And so we were beyond Model Model T's at that time, and Lindbergh had did that earlier in the 30s, so we did have air travel. Actually, I used the word just cause. So that's the operation in Panama that when I came in, I was there a couple months, and then it occurred. And then Gulf War happened in 91. So just to say my first three years uh, was filled with the Army going places and doing things that I didn't have any part of. So that was difficult <laughs> because the Army, when you talk combat patches, the Army didn't have any unless you're in Vietnam at the time. And then it's like in my division, then most everybody went down except for my squadron and I. And suddenly everybody has a, a patch. And then there are my patch lists. And I was complaining about it so much that my friends made me a patch and so I could sew on my uniform. <laughs> and all I said was, you know, something about being a whiner. So anyway, it's, anyway it, that was difficult. But my first assignment, I was with Air Ground Cav and the Aviation Brigade. And a great organization to come into. Uh, Cav has a great spirit. So uh, we fit in real well together, enjoyed my time, learned what it was to do military ministry. Because what chaplains don't realize, they're used to a, relig- they're used to a civilian template for ministry. We're religious professionals in the Army. We're religious professionals in civilian life. 
But the way we do ministry is different. Some core things are the same in regard to pastoral counseling and so on. But the form, the protocol, the the nuances and the structure is completely different. So the first tour is really a time of adjusting from civilian to military and then from going on learning more about your craft in the military and army organization. So great, great organization to start with, 7th ID, back when it was an actual division going on at Fort Ord, and uh, had great mentors to help me along. So one of the motivations for starting this podcast a number of years ago was I, I realized that uh, a number of folks who had served in the pre-9-11 Army uh, were, were at or nearing retirement. As you think back over, uh, over the 90s and into September 11th and uh, the Army after that, uh, what changed? Did anything change for you and, uh, and how, uh, how you functioned or how the Army, how, how you did ministry in, in your units uh, after 9-11? Well, for the first 10 years, 11 years or so, even though there were deployments around the globe, uh, they weren't combat deployments mm. for the most part. And so it was pretty much a garrison army, meaning that you were, I, I was at, say, for instance, uh, then in Schofield Barracks at 127 Infantry. So there for the three years, we would deploy to go to Japan or others for training missions, but there was no combat. And so it was garrison ministry that was the focal point. You would go deploy and do ministry to troops, but really it was uh, chapel involvement. It was religious uh, education activities going on. What happened at 9-11, then the army moved from garrison to its war footing. And much like during World War II, World War I, then the focus is deployed ministry, which is a lot different in many ways from garrison ministry. You operate then out of a fob, you have a chapel, but really you're going on patrols, you're doing things that you're not uh, taking part in, certainly in garrison ministry. Well, that's a different template of ministry to do. And then back home in garrison, we would have those who are mobilized uh, chaplains to assist with garrison ministry. Now we're back to more of a garrison footing again, and we're deploying to places and we're training there but we're not necessarily involved in combat. And so I see the Army moves in a cycle, and we're back into a cycle again that requires a little different skill set in regard to troop ministry because it's garrison ministry that's a focus and not so much the, again, the FOB kind of template that we used to do. So it's interesting from my perspective to see it beginning garrison, kind of move back around to garrison again, and see when I came in, the Army was focused on divisions. And then it got to be brigades, and then it's back to divisions again. And so when you're, you're in service long enough, you kind of see a cycle because the cycle is really driven by world events. Yeah, yeah. Well, sir, I want to transition here and uh, just hear some of the, the stories from your time as a chaplain. As you think back, uh, what would you say was the most physically challenging thing uh, that you faced as a chaplain? I think probably the most physically challenging thing is getting up for PT each morning. So that's something that occurred throughout my career. But I can't point to a particular moment when it was physically difficult. I've 
tended to be pretty active in the military and road marches, et cetera. So I've done all the kind of standard stuff. I've never done the uh, pre-ranger course, never went to ranger school. So some of the things that uh, chaplains do, they face real significant uh, physical struggles with that. I really haven't had any. I just had been the normal army living, the normal type of activity that occurs in training. Uh, and for me, it has not been difficult. So I can't point to one day where it's like, I've reached the end of my rope and I'm about <laughs> to let go, God. You need to get a hold of me here because I can't take it anymore. Yeah. That just never occurred. Yeah. Well, I, what about spiritually challenging? Has there mm. been some moments that were particularly spiritually challenging for you? Well, I think... There's long-term and crisis, you might say, uh, events. A crisis event is, for instance, uh, my first assignment, I sat with a couple that uh, their baby was born, stillborn, mm. but the baby was healthy. And because the way that it was delivered, an error on the doctor, mm. uh, the baby died in birth. And so that's one of those things where uh, you tend to, when you're younger, you tend to have theology and you have, you have more theology and you have practical experience. And so what do you do then? How do you translate your faith into something that would provide comfort and help for a couple that's grieving? Well, that's a learning experience as you apply the things that you believe to real life application. Other things are more long-term. You don't realize that there's a spiritual crisis and event going on because it's uh, like water slowly boiling. What I mean is in the military, you get uh, ribbons pinned on your chest. You get awards. You get OERs where people say, hey, you're great. Not that they said it about me, but they certainly said <laughs> it about other people I'm aware of. And you can develop a, a sense of pride in that that is, should not be there in mm. terms of faith. And you can start to see yourself as being separated. What happens is that you can become separated from the faith you came in with because you get lost in all the activity and the different directions that you can go in military service. So I see that as, in terms of a spiritual issue, as more long-term. How do you maintain allegiance and faithfulness to your calling and what you see is the reason why you're in the military when you walk through it, and then it's easy to get diverted in other things. What has helped you do that, sir? Because uh, you have had a, a long career, and I think if if we're honest in our self-examination, there's, uh, there's always a, a fear lurking there of uh, what happens if if I lose my calling, if I lose my identity, if I forget why I'm here, what has helped you maintain your, your grounding? Well, a couple of things. One is certainly family, and that I'm sure they will never let my head get too big. That's really <laughs> their role in life is to make sure my head doesn't swell too much. Uh, but other than that, it's experiences that, and again, my faith perspective as a Christian, that God prepares you in. So before... I lost my job with the church, then I struggled with pride, and I had too much of a focus on myself and what I was doing. Now, there I am. I'm in a small southern town. Uh, the church used to have a TV ministry, and I would deliver pizza to people's homes, and they'd look at me and go, don't I know you? It's because they used to watch a church broadcast. And it was just humiliating. 
And what that experience did is that it pounded every piece of pride out of me mm. so that when I came into the military and then people would say, hey, you did a good job, I was able to take that with a large degree of grain of salt because I realized it was not m my efforts, but God threw me in doing that. And as long as you can maintain that perspective, then I think that's most beneficial. In fact, I used to keep my Domino's delivery tag uh, had pinned to your shirt. I kept it on my bulletin board for my first three assignments because I would look at it and go, oh, I could do it again. So, you know, uh, I can put everything in perspective then in terms of the little ups and downs of military service. Yeah. It, it, it's funny you say that. Before my job, right before I came on active duty, we've talked about this um, uh, offline, was working at Best Buy. And um, I, I still have that, that Best Buy name tag. Uh, that I've held on to uh, for a number of years now, and it is a it's a good reminder to to remember where you came from. Let me add on that that the a trap that's easily that it's easy for chaplains to fall into is that when they look in the mirror, they define themselves by their uniform. And when you define yourself by your uniform, if I define myself as being a military chaplain, then I have lost the essence of who I am. Because if you take the uniform off me, then there's nothing left. So you have to always, in doing military ministry, is to realize this is not forever. This is for a limited time. And it's who you are underneath the uniform that determines how well you do in the uniform. Yeah. Well, sir, what would you say was the, the most challenging day or event that you faced over your time as a chaplain? That's a difficult one. Again, there's not a crisis that stands out in my mind as the most difficult day. I know for some who were in the Pentagon for 9-11 that that was a day that well, they'll always remember in terms mm -hmm. of crisis and the uh, explosion, the flame, uh, those who were killed. I think probably going to combat the first time overall was the most stressful experience and that there's people I know who were killed and there are soldiers there that you need to say things to in memorial services to help them kind of get a perspective in regard to death. So I guess over the first 15 months, uh, the first deployment, that probably was most challenging because then everything you practice, like an NTC or JRTC that was always just an injury card that they would give you, all of a sudden it's real. And all of a sudden that there's families who are not going to see their loved ones. And there's members of the squad and the platoon and the company who try to carry on with their mission in life. And you have to be able to help them so that they don't lose the important things and the connections that they have. So not a single crisis day, but probably the those 15 months were very stressful. You know, we, you said earlier that uh, we've kind of cycled back into uh, more of a, a, a garrison focus, still deployments and things going on, but, but not the combat deployments uh, that we saw for, uh, for 20 years. So... Uh, chaplains who are coming into the chaplain corps now uh, experience something like what what you did in those earlier years, what would you tell them 
so that they can be preparing now for when the cycle flips over again? How can they be preparing themselves for when there is that combat deployment? It used to be on the uniform that you had the cross and the branch signed in the old uniform, uh, the BDUs. And that really was reflective of that we are professionals of both military and religious. We're most comfortable being religious professionals. So when you come in, that's a skill set that you have, uh, that you've learned, easy to practice. And people in the unit then look to you as a religious professional. The difficulty is not learning to be a military professional. And so when you have a garrison type of activity, it's easy to think as a religious professional, especially a civilian religious professional. And you have to develop the military professional side, for instance, in regard to understanding the operations process, because that lends itself to intentionality. Well, it makes things intentional. And so that's the kind of intentionality you have to have in garrison ministry, that it's not, you can't treat it like your church, and you can't treat it uh, as uh, the normal thing of, I was civilian and now I'm military, kind of a same environment. It has to be organized. It has to be intentional in order to have an impact on organization. So I'll say that the biggest thing is for chaplains to do is that for those who are just coming in, grow in military professional so they understand the operations process, they can apply it to a garrison template. For those who have been downrange and they learn that, then they need to take that skill set that they have, that organized way of thinking, and apply it to garrison activity and mentor and develop the new chaplains coming in so they can do the same thing. Is there a particular day or event that stands out as uh, just something that was really rewarding for you? You look back on it and you go, man, that that... That was a good day. Again, another tough question because my career has been filled with a lot of good days. And mm. it kind of depends what you're looking for. Because I remember some services preaching when I was pastoring congregations like the gospel service at Fort Gordon. And I remember standing on the platform and uh, worship, choir singing, and about 500 people in attendance and just feeling uh, the blessings of God and kind of a high point effect memory, as my wife would say, that was lodged in my memory. Others, I remember, uh, for instance, going to NTC the first time, and it was over Easter. And the service, the day began with service, communion, Easter sunrise service, kind of like that, but it was just a normal service, under camouflage netting with the sun coming up in the desert, and then we went in all day long and did services. And then the last service of the night was the same thing, only the sun was setting. And that was a tremendous day that had an impact on me. I enjoyed getting promoted with uh, friends and family has an impact. But I also remember sitting there with uh, soldiers and counseling them. Uh, had uh, counseled one soldier who had six or seven family deaths that happened within, say, a four-day period. Wow. And they, he looked at me, and he, what are you going to say? And then I remember praying about that and talking with him and feeling God's grace and presence at work in our conversation. 
So I remember that as a, a meaningful day. So it's things like that. You might call it windows that I look out from the soul. It's various windows, different times in my military career. Not one that's over everything else, but all of them meaningful. So what's kept you getting up every morning over the last 30 years to keep doing this over and over, you know, including uh, coming back from retirement and continuing to serve for, for several years after when you initially thought you were going to be done? What what has kept you getting up and, and doing this? Well, I think primarily that my wife doesn't want me around the house and that <laughs> she just would prefer for me to get out of the house and we'll, go do we'll things. We'll pray for you then when you actually do finally yeah. retire. <laughs> I think I won't be retired. I'll be out on the street corner going, listen, can I just do something for you? Because I can't go home. Well, but you got those domino skills, so you can always, uh, always go back true. to I that. That's true. I could go back to that. That'd be nice. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, for me... Which, in talking about all that, I completely forgot your question again. Oh, no. Uh, so what has kept you, you know, getting up over oh, yeah, all there the years uh, <laughs> of being a chaplain and kept you going? Well, I think, again, for me, it's been my calling. And I mean that in a very personal way, that I believe that God has called me to do ministry within a Christian context, certainly. And that ministry goes on civilian, military. It'll continue after I put away my uniform. And that's what gets me up every day. It's not the promise of promotion. It's not an award. It's not to make somebody happy. It's the fact that I'm able to do something in the context I believe God has placed me in and that I'm trying to be faithful to the gifts given to me. And in developing those gifts and utilizing those gifts, then I find meaning in service so again, for me, it's why I came into the service. It's a calling, relationship with God that has been the continuing factor in the last 33 and a half years. Yeah. Over the years, I've talked to a number of folks who have stumbled upon this podcast, uh, people considering uh, the chaplaincy, chaplain candidates who are just trying to get as much information as they can. Uh, if you if you were sitting down in front of a, a chaplain candidate or somebody who's trying to discern their calling to the chaplaincy, uh, what would you want them to know? I would say that, first of all, look at the events of your life and looking at where God led me. I did not see myself as being in the military. And it was events that I didn't foresee that occurred that led me to being putting on a uniform. Same thing, when I was graduating high school, I was going to be a chemical engineer. And within the process of a couple of months, I was in a Bible college. And I didn't see that coming. And so I think, look at the events of your life, because God may be speaking to you and doing that. The second thing is, you really have to distill, to distinguish why you want to be a chaplain. Because if it's a desire just to be in uniform or if your prior service to be back in uniform again, it's not the right reason because that cannot sustain you. What it has to be then is you feel that God is calling you to serve in the military. Now, I would say, since this is for everybody, according to your faith. Again, I look at things in a Christian context and I see that God directing. Uh, for someone of a different faith group, I'll say the same thing. According to your faith... What is it about your faith and your experience that's pointing you to this that is separate from your desire just to be in uniform? And I think if you can figure that out, then you have the ability to begin military service on the right foot. 
Because again, if you just want to be in uniform again, then uh, you're going to go about it all the wrong ways because you're not thinking about the reason why you should come into military service. Are there any books that you've read recently or over the course of your career that have been particularly beneficial to you that you'd recommend to someone? Oh, I read a lot of books. I have a genetic defect in that I cannot remember titles and authors. <laughs> it's like I can't remember people's names either. It's, I don't know, that was just, I think my mom contacted a virus when she was pregnant with me and that somehow I have an inability to remember. Well, you came into the right profession since we we put our names, you know, on our chest. So that, that that's good. I have been blessed. I mean, that's, <laughs> that should have been my reason for coming into the military is that I can see a last name. I think overall, though, that Reading is done for pleasure. Reading is done for self-development. Reading is done because you have to do, and it's mandatory. And some people just don't like to read. So I think the important thing is, is that you kind of look at yourself and you have a continual self-assessment of where are, where are the areas that I need to grow in. And then it's in those areas that you focus in reading. It's easy to read just what you like. I tend to like science fiction fantasy. I read entirely too much of it, and I need to read more stuff. So I've also got some books on uh, Kindle and wiring and carpentry and things that I'd like to do more with my hands to help kind of broaden my understanding. But I have to tell you, it's easy for me to fall back in the uh, routine of reading something I enjoy. I've had to read a lot of books going to army schools, and that's been great because it's expanded my understanding of the world. But on the other hand, I don't like reading them as well because, again, it's just you have to sit there and think. And some stuff you can just read and cruise through it. So I say do the thing. To me, it's always do the thing you're most uncomfortable with. And so if I'm uncomfortable reading something on foreign relations, then I need to read it because that's an area I need to grow in. So I kind of use that as a rule of thumb. The, read the thing that you really don't want to, and that should help you out. So for those who are listening to this podcast uh, who are newer to the Chaplain Corps, maybe our captains, our majors, um, what can those folks do as... Uh, as you who has been in the Chaplain Corps for a long time, um, hands the profession off to them. How can we steward this profession well to make sure that uh, when we are in your shoes down the road, um, we are handing off the institution in good shape to the next generation? Well, let me say for those who have stayed with the podcast this long, there is no prize at the end. I'm sorry to tell you that. And just the fact that you've been with us this long is certainly a mark in your probably uh, your record in heaven, and you'll get something special for that. I think that you can't worry too much about Army chaplaincy because it will continue. And some people get real upset about the leaders they may serve under and so on. But I have found that the core, the reason why the Army wants chaplains and religious affairs specialists NCOs is because of the spiritual, because of the, the ministry involved. So uh, just to say that uh, some people, they get uh, uh, fatigue in service because they look too much at personalities. Well... Or they look at rank and they say, well, I'm not a certain rank that I'd like to be. And so somewhere in your journey as a chaplain, you lose kind of why you came in. And then you end. And I've seen a certain number of chaplains leave just bitter 
because either that their uh, their career didn't go in a direction they thought it should, that they felt that they had been undermined by either peers or by the raiders, senior raiders, or they had found whatever it is that they, they thought military service was, it wasn't what they went through. And they just leave, and I feel for them because, again, it goes back to what I said before, each day you get up to remember why you're there, and that is your calling, why of your faith of why you're there serving. And so you should be able to stand there and say, if tomorrow I'm not in uniform, I'm okay with that because I have something that gets me up in the morning, which is calling and continues to my way. So for those who are continuing on after I'm gone, I would say the best thing you can do is be true to your calling and who you are. Don't be distracted by the awards, by the ribbons, by the rank, by the position, because ultimately that doesn't mean anything. What means at the end, in my faith, that when I stand before God, it's not he's not going to look at the ribbon rack on my chest and say, oh, look, you know, I'm glad you got those. That means you're coming to heaven. <laughs> he, he opens a book. It's going to be on an entirely different subject right. that I get graded on. So you had to keep that in mind. Military service is for but a moment but eternity is forever. And so you should always act each day in military service as if it's the first day of eternity and keep your eyes on the right priorities and the right way of doing things and your relationship with God and with others. Now, I think you'll be successful when you depart and lay aside the uniform, either if you leave a captain, major, lieutenant colonel, colonel, general officer. Uh, success is not rank. Success is you do each day with what God has given you. Hmm. Well, what a great way to end the podcast. And Chaplain Walker, thank you for taking the time to sit down and record this with me today. Uh, I really appreciate the the wisdom and perspective that you bring to the table from your years of service. I appreciate it, although I was lured in here for the promise of donuts, but I don't see any. So, Oh, I've... well, you know, I did drop the ball there. Uh, we'll try and do better next time. Oh, no, I have to see the donut before there's a next time. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for listening to Chaplain Stories. If you enjoyed the podcast, if you could take a few minutes to give us a rating or a review on your favorite podcasting platform, uh, and then share this with your friends and family. And we will see you again next time for another Chaplain Story. Thunder and flame, wherever the call.